Mindless Can, the podcast with radio personality Jane Lindley Thomas and psychologist Paul Bushel. Because every act of kindness, no matter how big or small, can change lives. In this series, Jane and Paul hope to enrich your life by giving you practical tools on how to be kinder in your relationships with yourself, with those around you, at home, work and in your community. So very good morning um, to you, Paulie, and to everyone that's joined us uh, here today, and to my very dear friend, Matthew Willman. It's so wonderful to see your face, a documentary fine art photographer uh, who had the privilege of working with uh, Madela for 10 years, uh, very committed to charities across Southern Africa, particularly across uh, KwaZulu-Natal. I'm so relieved to see you, Matthew Willman, because between like Monday, Tuesday, and the eye of the storm, I could see that you were... You were very close to the action. So give us an account of how the experience was on the ground for you uh, over the last couple of days. Thanks, guys. Paul, Jane, thanks for the work you do. I think it's amazing. I think the community is blessed to have you in our midst and what you're doing. So just keep doing what you're doing. Um, I think Sunday the alarm bells started to ring that it wasn't just on our freeways that what was going on. And then um, Sunday night we heard rumors and things started to happen. Come Monday... Uh, I think we were all unprepared in a state of shock. And as a documenter, as someone who's committed my a whole career to working with marginalized, working with disenfranchised, working in historical places around Africa, um, I think the writing was on the wall that unless there was safety and security, this thing would spiral out of control. And that's what happened. And come Tuesday morning, um, it came to my doorstep. It came within two roads of me. Um, and we had severe looting at the Watercrest Mall. And, you know, I've never been one to sit on the sidelines and I grabbed my camera and off I went. And, you know, a lot of my documentation is, uh, is not about um, creating further emotion. It's just about recording um, factual what is going on, where we're at. And I worked in with the police and we did a flush after about, about 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning of the Watercrest Mall. And it was absolute carnage. I mean, I took a video that appeared on TikTok and five and a half million people viewed that. And we, I think it was shared over 100,000 times. So I think the world has, has a, an idea of, of what's happened. And, um, but the great thing is, three days later, you cannot see one thing lying on the ground at the Watercrest Mall. People came together, people galvanized, and I think that's the greatest strength of, of who we are as Africans. Absolutely. I mean, can we just talk about the, the man that wrote the letter? I don't know if you've read it. Uh, to the people that saw the writing on the wall and were so glad that they got out when they did. I don't know if you've seen that video, but in talking about the rebuilding and the cleaning, uh, what are your comments around that? I think um, one can never point fingers at anyone who chooses to leave an environment, a place, a country or whatever. And no, and I think that would be disingenuous of me to to suddenly use this platform to shut those people down. But at the same time, um, we are all South Africans wherever we live. And I think you've got your head in the sand. If you think you can shout from somewhere else and say, you know, we got out and um, we are safe. You've got your own problems on your side. We, we've overcome worse in this country. And I think we have to accentuate the positive at every point and step um, in life. So, I, you know, that for me is more negativity we don't need. And um, I think we just need to – I've had more positive coming from overseas than anything negative. So we just got to keep accentuating positivity. Yeah, I think it must be very hard for for South Africans all around the world who still feel so connected uh, to this space. Um, 
And, you know, my sister lives in, in Australia and we've been speaking every day. And yeah, she talks about the, the, the helplessness, uh, the heartbreak of connecting and empathizing with this collective South African experience. And I think that that's such a big thing. And I'm sure that's what so many of the things you've seen on the ground uh, and so many of us have seen in the media, that the majority of South Africans stand against this. Uh, and although Madiba would never be this Mandela Day proud of looting and violence, Matthew, and you can talk to us more about this, uh, he must be proud of the fact that so many of those amazing South African values that he stood for, uh, unity, respect, dignity, caring, they are alive and well in this country. Paul, I agree with you, but I don't want to get um, all half-looted about it and all uh, sort of uh, ponies in the sky. Let's, let's go back to the grassroots of Mandela, his legacy, and what he left us. Of course, we have a story of one man who chose life at every point in turn. Okay? We had a man who uh, was born into a very rural uh, community, very cultural, uh, ethnic community, and then he went on and he, he, how he the word, graduated, and he became our president. People often ask me in the course of my work in my documentary, because I had the privilege of working with them, what is this lasting legacy? What do we remember most about Mandela? And I always cut to the chase very quickly. Any South African who lived through or is currently enjoying the democracy that we have in South Africa today can look at Mandela in one light, in one context. He gifted us a lasting legacy of the most robust, the most diverse and dynamic constitution in the world. And for the last um, while, I'll call it 10 years, that constitution has more than perhaps any other nation currently has been bent and attacked and tried to be broken by people who have their own agendas and how they perceive their democracy or so-called democracy. So for me, when I, I talk about Mandela, I talk first from the grassroots, that here we have a man who left us something that became something enduring, and for us, not for Madiba's legacy, but for us to hold in our hands. That's why Mandela in 2004, he stood up in Trafalgar Square in front of the world and he said, it is in your hands that we take the future forward. And I think that's what we must um, take from today of Madiba's legacy. We can protect our communities, and we are. The, the stories that have come out of the last five days, remarkable, remarkable. The galvanizing of community, the sense of value. We've had uh, people from all walks of life defending streets, defending communities, defending shops. And yet, if you do an overview of it all, is we're actually defending our constitution. And I think that's where the conversation, perhaps on a very positive light, can always be drawn to. If we lose sight of that constitution, where are we as a people? What is our moral principled guidelines in South Africa today? I love nothing more than spending time with Matthew. In fact, a, a dinner with Matthew is one of my favorite things to do because you're just the most beautiful storyteller. And I love how you, yeah, the way in which you retell stories of Madiba. I mean, I know that I've got a very special uh, photograph in my home that you gave me uh, off the floor while putting uh, together a very special book. When I say to you, you know, Madiba, what is one of the first memories that comes to mind for you? Because I know that you have so many, but just share one or two with us this morning. My, you know, if you had to ask me, right, like you just asked me, the first thing I think of, and it's crazy, I go, yeah, how are you? He would always <laughs> do wherever you are, wherever it is, he would always have that hand. How are you? 
And I'll never forget the one day I was walking down the corridor. Um, Zelda, were, he was leaning on Zelda's arm and he was walking down the corridor. He had Professor Jake Scherwell on his right. And then he had the president of the World Bank um, on his left. And they had just come out of a, a meeting and we were walking down. I was walking backwards by camera trying to capture everything. And after Blue Madiba stops and he looks at me and he goes, yeah, how are you Prince Harry? And I, 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 I looked and I thought, this is Prince Harry behind me. And I looked behind me. And everyone just kind of froze. And Madiba then looked at the president of the World Bank. And then the president of the World Bank looked at me. And he wouldn't move until this um, leader, this uh, president of the World Bank, came over to me and greeted me. Hello, Prince Harry. It was a crazy situation. <laughs> but I just think, I often wondered why Madiba did that. And, and it took about a year and a half until I actually appreciated that. You know, every time I was ever around Mandela, whether I was in Tunun in Bezu or Cape Town or Johannesburg or uh, I don't know, wherever, I would always wear a suit, smart shoes, smart pants, collared, um, sometimes a tie, sometimes not a tie. But it was, I always felt as, as a next generation South African that this was the only honor I could give this man was to be as smart as I can. I'll never forget, he came along a gravel road out in um, Vezu, uh, out in Eastern Cape, where he was born. And he used to go about once a year and eventually lived there for about four years. And um, he came along his, his, his cavalcade and it was dusty. It was about 35 degrees in the hot sun in summer. And he slowed his vehicle down and I was taking pictures. And he, he looked at me and he just gave me that hand. You know, but he will always wave. You can go like that when you wave. He always went like that. And it was him acknowledging little old Matthew in the dust bowl of um, Vera in Vezu district. Um, and these are the memories that come to me. This man who was, who was just, you know, he had journeyed so far in life that he could sit with a rabbi for, uh, at 10 o'clock and then at half past 10, he could sit with a new mum. And then at 11 o'clock, he could sit with children. He had gone through so much of what I, what I term the human condition. You know, the frailties, the insecurities, the the fear um, and the joy. And I think at every point in his life, he was very cognizant of the fact that he had to keep resetting his, his horizon, keep resetting what the, the tools, what he's got in his hands. And so there's a very long answer to a very short question. What, what comes to mind? That's what comes to mind for me. This, this man who had, he had transcended so many of our human frailties. And I think to, to translate that into something practical uh, in, in the here and now, as we corral around our communities, uh, our wonderfully diverse communities, there's still value in asking people outside of those corrals, how are you and how are you doing over there uh, and how can we support you? Now, I love what you're saying, Matthew, about the constitution, that there'll be phases to the, to the response to this and there will be the cleanup and there will be the, the rebuilding. But my sense is there'll have to be a reworking also of, of the way that we do things around here, because this must be a sign of, of things that are not okay. So there's a lot of beautiful values around which we can use, but yeah, things are not okay. And hopefully our constitution can continue to guide us through that. Well, this is what I, to follow on from what you just said, this is what I actively believe every single day of my life in the last while is that, look, there's been pent up tensions in South Africa for a long time and driven majority through political wranglings and whatever's going on there. But I believe that through what we have 
all experience now over the last five, six days, there has been a leveling. There has been an, an opening and a, um, a, and I'm not justifying any of this. Please understand this. But through the tragedy, um, my parents came through the Second World War in concentration camps. And so there was always these stories that have been told how things were broken down and rebuilt. Um, I believe that we, there's been an opening. There's been a releasing in many ways of an identity of what do we value? Who are we as South Africans? Um, what do we value most? And um, I think this is now percolating up. And we, we are very fortunate to still use great leadership of Mandela's stature and, and the things he taught us, Ahmed Katrada, Raymond Atlaba, Andrew Mangeni. I mean, these are incredible leaders who never enriched themselves. I mean, those of you who know Ahmed Katrada, he, he lived in a tiny flat in Cape Town, and yet he could have, he was at the, the pinnacle of taking any tent he wanted after his release. So we have a wonderful uh, set of leadership that we can still admire and, and look upon. Um, and I just think after all this, this, this week we've had, there is now a, a, an opening and a realization that, hold on, actually, we, we're better than we think we are. And we have more to, to, to gain by working together as, as a country. And I hope that fits in with what you were saying. I'm a, I'm, I'm a person that loves a good old story. So I'm going to take you back and ask you to tell us another story of uh, Tata Madiba. Maybe it's a story of um, kindness that you saw behind the walls inside. Um, I love the story that you tell about how you got that, that shot with him in his office. Yeah. Um, share, share another beautiful story with us, please. I love the way oh, you tell you. a story. It's actually been quite a while since I've told any stories because, as you know, I do a lot of public speaking and COVID has really shut that down. Um, you know, I was very idealistic when I began with Medela. I thought I could just go in there and the world is mine and I could just take any picture I wanted. And I remember just before I talk about the Amanda first, um, I remember the first, second day, I think, second time I was shooting Madiba, naturally I lay on the ground and was shooting up. And I think I upset every single person in that room, the bodyguards, Zelda, the, the Mandela Foundation. Who was this person lying down in front of Mandela? Whatever. And then everyone was murmuring. And then when I showed them the images, they're like, ah, that's why. And I think after that, the foundation never really questioned me on my approach. But there was one image, no matter how I, um, whatever I documented around Mandela, I did not achieve. My whole portfolio just wouldn't be what it is today. And that was Mandela's iconic Amanda fist. Because remember, guys, it was a fist that uh, was there that Martin Luther King used um, in the liberation and the civil rights movement in America and in India and in Southeast Asia and, and here in Africa. The, the fist, which we call the Amanda fist power, was synonymous with people who are uh, in uh, subjugation. And I, I asked willy-nilly, I just said to Zelda, please have a photograph of this Amanda fist. And it was shut down. For six years, it was shut down. I asked everyone, and, you know, I could have just asked Madiba, but I probably would have been fired. Um, and it wasn't until on the 28th of March, 2011, 18 months before Madiba passed, he, uh, or just over, about, call it a year and a half, um, I was in his office, and he had, he had been with the, a, a dignitary, and he walked out, and Madiba swung around to me, and he looked at me, and he says, right, now I am ready. And he just went like that. It was me a bodyguard and Mandela in the room. And it was almost like the entire legacy of our country's history was playing out right in front of me. You know what? I screamed for Zelda who came hot looping around the corner. And I just, I just 
through I threw a, a, the, this, um, this velvet cloth that I kept in my camera bag for six years on the, on the hope that Medieval would allow me. And um, they just held up this cloth behind. And I, I literally, in a space, F25, no, what, what was it? F5.6 at one fifth of a second. I, because I must explain, we weren't, I didn't use digital images around Madiba because of archiving purposes. We always used film. And I remember shooting off these. Two, I, t- I think I took two or three shots, zoomed in a little bit wider, of Madiba's fist. And that ended up being my very, very last photo shoot with Nelson Mandela. And um, that image sits today at the United Nations. Um, it, is, it is used around the world by the United Nations um, in Mandela Day and in reminding people that, you know, it's the people we fight for. What an incredible story. And, you know, even giving more depth to this story is that you, Matthew Woman, um, no one knew that you were working for Madiba from Pine Town for how many years? You were waitering and driving oh. up at a drop of a hat. And people actually thought that you lived very near the action, but no. I, I'm trying not to romanticize this whole part of it. But, you know, for the first two years, I wasn't paid by the Madiba Bunch. My travel was. They didn't even knew I lived in Pantown. I remember the one day, one of the ladies at the foundation said to me, uh, yeah, Matthew, you can just come back uh, tomorrow or something like that. And I was like, no, I can't. And she says, why? I said, I live in Pantown. And she looked at me and she says, where is that on the East Rand? <laughs> she had no idea. Where's Pantown? And I said, no, ma'am, it's 600 kilometers on the coast. And I think they were gobsmacked that I was so scared that they would find out that I, um, I think one day the accountant said, why are you charging us so much for petrol i said because i'm coming from durban um for me with madiba it was about this beauty of working with a man i absolutely loved he, any ask any of my friends over those years when i was 23 24 25 um madela was everything for me i had to be with this man and to work with him as a photographer was extraordinary and yes i would wake up at zelda would phone me or message me at like 10 o'clock at night and she would say or Vern harris whoever would say Oh, Madiba needs a shoot at, I don't know, half past eight the next morning or 10 o'clock. I would get in my car at three o'clock in the morning without even going, uh, no, I was there. Driving through the, the Warden and Harry Smith and uh, the Hook Plaza at five, six in the morning and just to be at his house by eight, eight thirty in the morning. Um, and, you know, those are beautiful days because I, I was just learning, learning, learning all the time about this. And, um, yeah, they changed after that. But yeah, I would come back at probably about five in the afternoon. And then Madiba would, um, not Madiba, I'd have my waitering. I worked at the old Landestine restaurant in Sonia. And then I'd wait her from 5.30 till about 11 that night. And I wouldn't tell a soul because, I don't know, it's just, it's what I was doing. I was in the thick of it. Of all your learnings, what, what would you feel is most applicable right now? Oh, geez, you caught me off guard. <laughs> From the Langostine to your greatest lesson. <laughs> I just think, um, you know, Madiba used two statements. And the one he always used was, um, it's only through education that we can change the world. Um, and I learned that very early on. And it was just through this being this fly on the wall, this, this lesson of just watching Madiba. Look, I, was, I wasn't always convinced that Madiba was the Madiba we believed in. And I would sit on that corner in my little red chair in the corner of his office and I would watch him like a walk. And um, just seeing, oh, are there chinks in his armor? Is there anything that's like, oh, well, he's not really that. He's not really C, C, C. 
And you know what? I was interviewed in America in Cincinnati about Madiba, and they had interviewed Oprah and Bill Clinton and, I don't know, all the luminaries of the world. And here I was a little old me, and they were asking, what's the greatest thing I can say about Nelson Mandela? My friends, and I speak to everyone on, listening on this podcast, for me as a citizen of this country who's actively still involved, please trust this about Nelson Mandela. That the man we all saw in public, whether on radio, television, art, whatever, he was exactly the same man in private, where there were no television cameras, when there was no uh, journalists and no one to report. He, and that's why I come back to what I said at the very beginning. He had journeyed so far in life that he had come to a place. Was he in a happy place? No, he regretted a lot about particularly leaving his family. But he had arrived at a space where he had acknowledged what life had given him, and he was able to receive people. So for me, um, he saw that as a, as a powerful tool he was able to use. So I make the statement, education can, uh, what's the most powerful weapon you can change? I've actually got it written on my office wall. That's why I look there. Education is the most powerful weapon you can use to change the world. Um, and then it, it's, it's easy to break things down, but it takes a true leader to build things up. And I'll, just to finish off on that, is to say Mandela continued to build wherever he was. And I think this is pertinent for today. Don't stop building, guys. Please, if you stop building, you stagnate. If you stagnate, you allow two words to come into your life. And those two words, the fruit of which is poverty. And the two words is apathy and indifference. Please, guys, do not be indifferent to your society and your community and what's happened. Do not um, allow those two words to uh, um, manifest in your life because there is only one fruit of that, and it's a rotten fruit. It's called poverty, poverty of mind, body, and spirit. So that's what I believe Mandela held onto his whole life. He, at every boat, kicked that can down the line. Whether he faced life, or, he faced death in 1964, death by hanging for the act of what was then treason and sabotage against the state. He never riled up and so he used his platform to keep building, to keep building. It's phenomenal. Let us do that now in our communities because we need it. We need this positivity now. Oh, Matthew, I love you. We thank you. And yeah, we'll connect really soon. What are you up to today? I mean, I know it's a big day uh, being Mandela Day. Do you have big plans or are you going to go and walk around your garden? What's Matthew Wilman up to today? I'm going foraging for food. <laughs> Are you serious? I can help you. What do you need? No, no, no. I've got my, I've got my connections. Um, actually, one of the connections is standing in a queue. I think at the Checkers and uh, at the Watercrest Mall, they've announced that they're open. Um, no, I'm just, um, I've done a lot behind the scenes on social media and with organizations. And for me today, it's just about um, seeing the fruits of what I've put out there and um, yeah, just being available um, and connecting wherever I can. Oh, it's always a pleasure to to chat with you, Matthew. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, yeah, thanks for everyone who's who's joined us today and and listened in. I think we keep circling back to it because it's just such a powerful thing that when we connect with one another, when we ask each other how you are, when we look each other in the eye, when we yeah make space for each other's hearts, uh, we can do such incredible incredible things. So yeah, so nice to see you, Jane. Oh, nice to see you too, Paulie, and Matthew, and everyone else on this call. Matthew, before you go, won't you give us contact details? Because Matthew's got beautiful books that he's written. He's got beautiful photography books that he has shot. Uh, how can people get hold of you, my love? J 
Jay, thanks for that. Yeah, just go straight to my website. It's all there, um, www.matthewillman, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, and W-I-L-L-M-A-N.co.za. And it's all there. Go take a look. Some good work, I think. I think so too. Lots of love, everybody, and enjoy the rest of your day. And we'll be back tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., and uh, every morning next week um, to love, support, and encourage you. You've been listening to Kindness Can, the podcast. Find out more at kindnesscan.co.za.